For years, people have been blinded by supplements, medicines, or machines that can promise health, youth, weight loss, anything you can imagine. They prey on the anxious and self-conscious, not worrying about what they may be leaving behind when their broken promises turn out to be just that. Since the ancient Egyptians, people have fallen prey to the belief that all of their dreams can come true if they just buy this one thing. But what happens when those broken promises actually hurt someone? I'm going to tell you the story of Dr. Ruth B. Drown. I'm going to tell you about the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA as it's more commonly known, which is a federal government agency that responds to emergencies and disasters. While around the country, a conspiracy theory about FEMA constructing secret concentration camps is taking on a new life lately. I'm going to tell you all about this in this week's episode. From time to time, during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. we miss that? Hello, welcome back to another episode of How Did We Miss That? I'm Christine. And I'm John. And I, I like my story tonight. I'm excited about it. It's not something I normally do. It's a new, a new reach in crime, I guess. It is. It has to do with crime, right? Yeah, it's absolutely a crime. <laughs> Bamboozling the, uh, what do they call it? Snake oil salesman. Yes. Yeah, I love yeah that. pretty much. And it's interesting. I found my story when we were on vacation. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> at the Science Museum of Minnesota. They oh. have this really amazing exhibit of all these like failed inventions. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. But as I was reading the description on one of them, I thought, oh, this is interesting. And I kind of did some more research and it was really cool. It's kind of a cool story. So. Oh, you betcha. Oh, yeah. Was the exhibit called the Ahek exhibit? Ahek. No, no <laughs> it wasn't. Um. So my sources, obviously, for the story would be the Science Museum of Minnesota. Yes. And uh, quackwatch.org. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's actually a really cool one. <laughs> it's about so, ducks? Um, no, no, I think they mean quack, like yeah. <laughs> not yes. a good doctor, Yeah, basically. All right. Well, on May 23rd of 1963, 22-year-old Jackie Metcalf, a housewife from Torrance, California, walked into the office of Dr. Ruth B. Drown, chiropractor. She carried with her three small pieces of paper with a sample of blood on each. I feel like this is a personal attack because of my love affair with chiropractors. Maybe. But I, she wasn't really a chiropractor. I mean, oh, okay. So she not was as a, we know it today. She didn't crack your bones. I mean, chiropractors are a little quacky. They do try to sell you up the river with supplements and, oh, I, right. gotta, I need to crack your bones five days a week for the foreseeable future. And <laughs> I get it. <laughs> They're not really a doctor, all that stuff. Right. Okay. Well, anyway. So she took the three pieces of paper with blood on them, like I told you, and she handed them to Dr. Cynthia Chatfield. She was also a chiropractor, and she also happened to be Dr. Drown's daughter. So it's like a mother-daughter thing we've got going on here. Mrs. Metcalf explained that her three children had been very ill, and the samples of blood on the paper she brought in were from each of them. She wanted a diagnosis of what, what was causing their ailments. 
She paid $50 for each diagnosis and then went on her way. Now, before I go on with the rest of my story, I want to make sure to let you know that $50 in 1963 is the equivalent of $443.95 today, which means that the $150 she spent would have been the same as $1,331.85 today just to get like a diagnosis. Yeah. Super expensive. That is very expensive. Yeah. Maybe they just didn't have insurance at this point. I don't know. Yeah, I really be, don't know how much blood tests cost now that I think about it. I don't know because insurance right? pays for them. So. Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out when medical insurance became a thing, first of all. And also, yeah, like hopefully we never have to find out what yeah. all that stuff costs. Interesting. I'm sure it's not cheap. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a lot. But I really don't know. Yeah. Now that I think about it. Yeah. It took a few days for Jackie Metcalf to finally hear back from Dr. Chatfield, who told her that the analysis of the blood samples showed that her children were coming down with chickenpox and mumps. Dr. Chatfield told her that in order to cure her children, she would need to come back to the office and purchase something called a drowned therapeutic instrument Ooh. for $588. That sounds uh, painful. Right. Or... It would be $5,038.12 today. Yikes. She then explained to her how to set the dials on the machine to cure her children. Mm. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where can I get one of these? Right. What Dr. Chatfield did not know was that Mrs. Metcalf was not a housewife or a mother at all. She was actually an undercover agent with the California State Department of Public Health. Mm -mm -mm. Exactly. Her three children, where she got the blood samples from, in reality were actually a turkey, a sheep, and a pig. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Jackie Metcalf's report, along with a bunch of other evidence, led Los Angeles Deputy District Attorney John W. Minor and police, as well as public health inspectors to the office of Dr. Drown, sorry, not Down, excuse me, in La Brea, California. Dr. Drown, Dr. Chatfield, and their assistant, Margaret Lunis, were all taken into custody, along with a slew of the machines Dr. Drown had been peddling. So they basically went into the office and took all of the machinery that she'd been selling. Yeah. Dr. Drown and Dr. Chatfield had used these machines to treat over 35,000 people from all over the United States, as well as selling machines to countless doctors who also treated their own patients. Hmm. The machine was said to diagnose and cure almost any illness or affliction. Obviously, the people seeking treatment from these machines were just so desperate to get help for whatever it was they were dealing with, they were willing to believe anything at this point. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you kind of where all these ideas came from and what this machine is apparently supposed to do. Okay. You get a kick out of this one. Yeah. Ruth Drown got some of her ideas from Dr. Albert Abrams, who made millions selling his own machines and treating his patients with them. According to Dr. Abrams, all parts of the, vo- the body vibrate and emit electrical impulses or frequencies. He believed diseased organs emitted impulses that were different from healthy ones. So he feels like every organ, things that we have in our body has like a frequency that it vibrates at. And if like, for example, your lungs were infected, it would vibrate at a different frequency than it was supposed to be. I, Does that make sense? Y- yes. It, and it seems plausible, I guess, if you don't really know any science behind this. Yeah, if you don't really know I how mean, the body works exactly and yeah. someone's telling you. Somebody who's supposedly a doctor and smarter than you? Right. Absolutely, yeah. 
to diagnose an illness, he put the patient's blood sample into the machine, found where the abnormal vibrations were coming from, pretended, obviously, to diagnose an illness, and then would send proper vibrations into the body to help cure the patient. (laughs) (laughs) That was a fun laugh. (laughs) I, I just have some stories to share when you're done. Oh, okay. About some of this. All right. Yeah. Experts at the time repeatedly testified that the machine was an absolute hoax and did nothing to cure any illnesses. Even so, Ruth Drown was not the only person who created a copycat of the machine. The American Medical Association's Department of Investigation estimates that at least 50 more were made and used during this time. So that's 50 different machines. Yeah. Not 50 total. Right. Because Ruth Drown had quite a few of them. She didn't do the exact same thing as Dr. Abrams, however. In her office, the patient was told to sit beside an impressive console and put his feet on two foot pads made of German silver. <laughs> Probably looked pretty spiffy, I think. Yeah. I doubt it was actually German silver, but... <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. The console had nine knobs arranged in three rows of three, for those of you that are not as great with multiplication as I am. Each knob had settings numbered from zero to ten, on the console panel, there was also a microammeter. Now, I had to look that up. I had no idea what that was. It's basically just a machine that measures very small frequencies. Mm, okay. Anyway. Not a, not a micrometer, a microammeter. I mean, I'm sh- maybe. No, it's spelled M-I-C-R-O-A-M-M-E-T-E-R. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Micro. Amateur. Yeah, micro meaning the small, f- yeah, the small mm-hmm. frequency. Yeah, okay. Yes, I don't know. I, yeah, sure. <laughs> right near the right-hand corner of the desk on which the console was mounted was a small rectangular rubber piece that was clamped down by a metal frame. Next to this was a cylindrical well, like a. The only thing I can think of is like a pen holder. You know, in the desk they have the little circle where you put your pens inside. Yes. So I think it's like that. Mm-hmm. Is what I can tell. Yeah. Um, It was about an inch and a half deep. Mm -hmm. Sitting at the console, Dr. Drown then placed an electrode on some portion of the patient's body, usually the stomach. This immediately caused a movement of the needle on the micrometer. With her right middle finger on which she wore a rubber covering, she held it down on the other rubber piece on the console and began making adjustments on the nine dials with her left hand. When her finger began to stick or squeak on the rubber... This indicated that the dial settings were beginning to approach the vibration rate of the part or organ of the body that she was supposedly testing. This sounds like crazy. Yeah. And to be honest with you, if I was somebody back then and I didn't know how the body worked, I'd probably be sitting there going like, oh, she looks like she's doing something. You know? Yeah. The, what's startling to me about this is the time frame. Like, this sounds like some 1800s yeah, no, it's stuff like we saw on the, on the alienist, you know? Right. Who would believe this crap in the 60s? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, crazy. All right. Well, next she would open a drawer of her desk and take out some sealed glass vials, each containing a different unknown chemical. These she would insert unopened into the well in the desk one by one while continuing to make delicate adjustments on the dials. Apparently, this was how she knew the exact vibration rate because she'd like look at the liquid, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it had to be different chemicals. I have no idea, but... That's the only thing I can think of. Well, so you're missing the point here. It didn't have to be. It just made it look more spectacular. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. The more complicated it is, the less the patient will question. Sure. That's true, I guess. 
She would then read off the numbers at which the dials were set, beginning with the upper left dial and proceeding horizontally across the three rows to the lower right. This composite number taken down by an assistant on a large chart represented the vibration rate of the illness, which could then be looked up in a book that would also give the correct vibration that the body needed to make the patient perfectly healthy again. So they'd get the vibration number, yeah. they'd reference it in a book, and then that little thing would tell you, oh, well, it's halitosis, <laughs> <laughs> and give them this vibration to fix it. Yeah. I don't know who wrote that book, but whatever. You know, sadly, I could see people falling for this today. Everyone's looking for some kind of miracle. That's what I'm saying. Like cure or whatever. Look at know? all the like gummies for weight loss and stuff. It's like, or that was this was at the museum. Those metal bracelets. Yes. That people think are supposed to realign you or something ridiculous. Yeah. They balance your they chakra. They actually do or whatever. absolutely nothing. Of course, yeah. <laughs> They've proven to do nothing. Yeah. So incredible. Yeah. yeah. If any patient wanted to, they were given the option of buying a treatment machine for home use. They would first get diagnosed in the laboratory and then be told over the phone exactly which dials to turn and where. (laughs) That wasn't even the best part. Suppose the patient didn't actually want to come down to the laboratory or be hooked up to any machines. (laughs) Never fear. Dr. Drown had an answer for that. Any patient that came into her practice gave a blood sample on a piece of blotting paper. She would then take that blood sample that was given because, you know, it's obviously still in contact with the patient's actual body wherever it is. Yeah. (laughs) And she would treat the blood sample, letting the patient know exactly what illness he needed to treat and how. (laughs) Sounds legit, right? Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. But wait. There's more. There's more. For a meager $35 a month, the laboratory would insert the patient's blood specimen into a treatment machine at a specified time each day set the dials to the indicated healing rate, and broadcast an hour's worth of treatment to the patient, which would supposedly reach him anywhere on the face of the earth. Wow, the beginnings of podcasting right there. This is insane. <laughs> like, for oh, a, you can treat me on a little piece yeah, of paper with for, my blood on it? For a monthly Great. fee, we will give you true crime advice. Well, and, and, and I can't help but think, like, I, I guess this is the society we're in now, but like if someone said, oh, I will absolutely put your sample and do it for a whole hour at the same time every month. Who's to say they're actually doing it? Of course. Yeah. They're just taking my money. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Drown had lots of other fantastic ideas. They were both completely sane and in no way illogical. Like at all. Would you say she was drowning in ideas? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There you go. Nice. One of the ideas she had was that jazz music was a cause of cancer. Hmm. Okay. And that cancer caused by jazz could be cured by playing much softer tunes to the ailing body. Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of soft jazz tunes. She out actually there. had a song too that she said you should play, and I just didn't write it down, but I hadn't ever heard of it, so I didn't worry about it. What about smooth jazz? That's soft jazz. I don't think they had smooth jazz back then. I think it was just the very like you lots know. of yeah, lots of bebop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She also said that each human body is surrounded by a magnetic field. And that people should be taught how to care for their magnetic fields properly. She wrote in a publication that any patient who is feeling fatigued or low on energy should never take showers and stand in the water over the drain because the person's magnetism is washed down with the water through the drain, (laughs) leaving even less energy than there was before. Mm, Don't want that. No. 
Also, after taking a bath, they should leave the tub and have someone else drain the water and clean the tub. If that wasn't possible, then the person should be wearing a robe so that none of their magnetism would be sucked down the drain as they clean the tub. Mm. She also said it's very important not to sit in the tub and let it drain while you're still in there because it will also give you less energy than before. When you get cold, too. Yeah. As early as 1949, these devices had been proven to be incapable of diagnosing illness. That's shocker, right? Yeah. An experiment at the University of Chicago was conducted and Dr. Drown was given blood samples of a number of people and asked to diagnose their conditions. In one case, after working over her dials for an hour, she announced that the patient had cancer of the left breast, which had spread to the ovaries, uterus, pancreas, gallbladder, spleen, and kidney. Actually, the patient was suffering from tuberculosis. Oh my. Which is nothing like what she just said. Yeah. But think about that. If you said, oh yes, it's you can do this and whatever, and it's tuberculosis, you're completely missing it. You're not going to get treated the way you're, you need to be. And that's treatable, right? Right. Well, at Is this it? point I'm in time, not... yes. At this point, yes. In 1951, Dr. Drown was convicted on federal charges for selling false information, essentially. Having been found guilty by the jury, she was fined $1,000. She stopped shipping her devices across state lines, but otherwise carried on with business as usual. Now, we're back to where our story began. And in 1966, Dr. Chatfield and Mrs. Lunis went to trial in Los Angeles on state charges, so they charged them as well. Mrs. Metcalf gave her account to the court, as well as other witnesses with some amazing stories. One testified that Dr. Drown assured him that his son, a diabetic, could reduce his intake of insulin prescribed by a doctor if he was treated by her machine. Another witness, an epileptic, was told by Dr. Drown that she could cure him. She said that he was able to stop taking medicine that was prescribed by an actual doctor, and she continued to treat him even after he had a severe seizure in her office. In another case, a chiropractor who used drown therapy instruments on her patients brought a man to drown laboratories who had polyps in his lower intestinal tract. A diagnosis by drown instruments showed no cancer, and the chiropractor therefore continued to treat the supposedly benign polyps with a drown therapy device. The patient worsened and died. A biopsy done by a medical doctor had shown the growths were malignant. But the best part of the trial was a professor of radiology from UCLA taking apart the machine and showing exactly how it worked, having nothing to do with actual human electromagnetism. And that it didn't matter which way the dials were turned because they were all attached to the same wire. Dr. Drown died in 1965 while awaiting trial. Dr. Chatfield and Mrs. Lunis were convicted of grand theft for their part in the operation, and in 1967, they were sentenced. Mrs. Lunis was placed on probation for three years, and Dr. Chatfield received an, quote, indeterminate prison term. Hmm. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. That's what they said. Crazy. Crazy. That um, exhibit was super cool. With it was all the, really cool. It had like the fat vibrating belt and all yeah. the tonic that would replace your hair and all this other bullshit from the years gone by. It was great. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So great. So the story I wanted to tell is I've sought chiropractic care. Right. I see one now that I just started, but he's like a sports medicine guy. So he's mm -hmm. trying to do a little physical therapy in there, which does work. I saw a chiropractor here in Massachusetts when we first moved here. Mm -hmm. He reminds me a lot of this. Now, he wasn't trying to sell me on all of this weird 
stuff. However, he definitely believes in it. He uses things like a laser that he swears would fix people's backs and allergies and everything. Yeah. And so that's why I stopped going there because he was like more into his YouTube channel than actually treating Mm. patients. And he did treatments on me that I've never had before. I mean, the back adjustments or whatever are pretty standard across the board, but he's like, Oh, we're going to use the laser to do this. And I'm like, I don't know about lasers. And uh, yeah. A lot of these chiropractors are into this freaky deaky wellness stuff and they mm-hmm. go down these rabbit holes of probably hearing about people like this. Oh, I'm going to try this and people will believe it because they hurt so bad when they come here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I'm still not clear if chiropractors are actually doctors. They call themselves doctors, but. I think they get a doctorate of chiropractic medicine. Yes, but I don't think you have to do boards and. In um, residency and all this other stuff like an actual doctor does. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's a good question. All right, well, I'm really back to my roots this week doing a hardcore 100% conspiracy theory. Love it. First, some history because that's what I do. And we have an international audience that may not know what FEMA is. Right. Um, So I think it's fair to give it a little backstory before I get into the conspiracy theory part. Sound good? Sounds perfect. Okay, so FEMA, or the Federal Emergency Management Association Association Agency, it's not like a club or anything, it's a real thing, <laughs> as it's officially known, is an agency of the Department of Homeland Security. It was initially created- Oh, it is? I had no idea. Yeah, Department DHS has a bunch of like- Okay. Like TSA is part of DHS. Well, and, that makes sense, but yeah. I wouldn't- Oh, of course, this, yeah. I guess, I don't know. It was initially created under President Jimmy Carter- by Presidential Reorganization Plan Number 3 of 1978. Number 3? That means there was two before that, I guess. Was there any after? <laughs> I mean, I would assume so, I mean, but I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. I guess the government reorganizes, you know, just like a normal company would. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, the agency was implemented by two executive orders on April 1st, 1979. April Fool's. <laughs> Maybe that's why people think it's fake and some Maybe. shadow government, right? FEMA's primary purpose is to coordinate the response to a disaster that has occurred in the United States and that overwhelms the resources of local and state authorities. So think like your major things like massive hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, the pandemic, stuff like that. In those cases, the state's governor will formally declare a state of emergency and request from the president that FEMA and the federal government respond to the disaster and help out. Oh, okay. So they have to wait for like a... Yeah, it has to be. You can't... They won't just show up. You have to ask for them. Right. Okay. In addition to the on-ground support that I just mentioned, FEMA also provides state and local governments with experts in specialized fields of emergency management. And they also do funding um, for relief funds and rebuilding efforts for infrastructure that may have been severely damaged during the disaster. Finally, and this is the area of FEMA that I am very familiar with, they provide grant funding... Mm-hmm. And training for emergency management professionals oh, that's cool. and organizations to bolster their emergency management plans and response. Some of these trainings are free on the internet. Oh, really? I have all kinds of certifications. So does your brother, who's been on the show, guest of the show, friend of friend the show. Of the pod. Yes. Um, that makes our resume look all fancy that shows we know how to run a proper emergency response should we ever have to formulate a emergency response team. And do you feel based on these trainings that you could do that? 1000%. Well, that's good. Sometimes I, I take trainings and I'm like, I can't, oh, no, I, I can't do that. Unfortunately, I have to pay attention to these because that's my role in well, my job to is to be there. 
Well, you know what I mean. I have to do. I have to actually do this if something happened at my venue. Right. I have to set up this whole thing and work with law enforcement. Anyway, it's a bunch of bunch of nerd security talk. Okay, enough with the definitions and the history lessons. Let's get on to the wacky conspiracy, shall we? Please. So the theory in a nutshell, I'm just going to give you a basic version of it because it gets a little convoluted. Okay. Is this. The people think that FEMA is stockpiling supplies, resources, and funding to create concentration camps to imprison law-abiding citizens for the oppressive federal government. Sounds crazy, right? Okay. Well, it is, like most of the conspiracy theories out there, a little crazy. But let's get into some reasons why people are thinking this Please do. could be a thing. We'll start with one of the first known references to FEMA concentration camps. It comes from a newsletter in 1982 issued by a loosely organized far-right populist social movement called Posse Comitatus. Oh, excuse you. <laughs> <laughs> the group started in the U.S. in the 60s and its members spread a conspiracy-minded, anti-government, and anti-Semitic message in the name of white Christians. Okay, so I have a question. Yeah. Because you said they're going to put these law-abiding citizens into the concentration camp? Yes, us. So, well, then wouldn't that leave just major anarchy? Wouldn't they want to put the people that are not law-abiding into the concentration camps? I'm very confused. I think that statement is supposed to mean that everyone's a law-abiding citizen and the government's not. So the government's going to round up basically all the people and oh. put them in this camp so they can start their new world order, which I'll talk about in a minute. Okay, got it. I think, right, that's, just, I think that's just the way they phrased it. Got it. I'm getting a little tired of these conspiracy groups and these right-wing groups speaking out in the name of white Christians. That's me. Thanks, guys. You're yeah. painting me in a bad light. Well, here's the situation, though. Everybody says, oh, Christians this and Christians that. There are like, I'd have to say 90% of the religions are Christian religions yeah. following Christ. Yeah. Maybe not 90, but quite a lot of them. Um, so it's kind of weird to say it would just, you know what I'm saying? Like it'd be yes. like females. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of people on the side. I hear you. Yeah. Well, the, newspa the newspaper, it's not a newspaper, it's a newsletter. Oh, sorry. Warned that hardcore patriots, as they called them, were to be detained. In these government concentration camps, the prevalence of the theory increased with the rise of the militia movement in the 1990s. The militia movement, you say? How did we miss that? I never heard of the militia movement. No, but it's when you're talking, it sounds like we're back in like Revolutionary War times. Exactly. I feel like I know way more about these militia militias and groups nowadays than I should. Um, but they're basically organized paramilitary factions that, you know, thanks in part to Trump's fanatical following and recent current events. Sounds like a good band name. Yeah, yeah right. Um, they've kind of brought them out of the woodwork lately. But in the 90s, I never heard of them. So I don't know. I, maybe we can chalk that up to being too young or not paying attention. I don't know. Yeah, wasn't on our radar. I, I didn't hear anything about militias back then. A little over 10 years later in 1994, a supposed FEMA camp was featured in a film by militia movement supporter and former lawyer Linda Thompson. The film was titled America Under Siege. Oh. Sounds very dramatic. Very severe. The camp, and I'm using air quotes here, everyone, was in actuality an Amtrak repair facility. <laughs> but given Thompson's involvement in the militia movement and just being kind of a whack job, conspiracy theorists quickly bought on to the depiction and the theory continued to grow. They're like, oh, this is it. This is our moment, you know? In the film, she also accused the government of using black helicopters 
again, air quotes, I'm not sure what the significance of them just being black helicopters are, the yeah. spooky, I guess, that way, um, against patriots to prevent them from interfering with their plans to establish a new world order, which you've heard me talk about on the show before. Right. That's like the overarching conspiracy theory is that our government, especially the Democrats, want to create a new world order, which is not the order that we know and love today. Not the order that we've already placed. Exactly. Want a new order? Yes. New, nice. They're sending their feedback <laughs> Unbelievable. To, the, to the restaurant, yes. the chef. So following the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing of the Murrah Federal Building, the theory was discussed by the Senate Judiciary Committee on Domestic Terrorism, likely because of the anti-government kind of feel behind that attack and right. the person who did it. Proving that the theory's growing was growing um, a reach in popular culture, it was even included as a plot point in the 1988 X-Files movie. I saw that movie and I don't remember this. I have never seen the all. X-Files movie. I know the song, but I don't know the movie. Yeah. Well, I saw it back then, and I don't remember this being a plot point. How old were you? I was uh, 19. Wait, wait, wait. Did that say 19? Did you say 1988? 98. Oh, I thought you said 88. I'm like, wait, X-Files wasn't back then. <laughs> no, 98. Remember they came out with a movie? It was like a big yeah, I know, blockbuster I thing. Mm -hmm. What's their name? Sully and... Mulder? Mulder and I Sully. I've never seen... Something like that. ...more than two minutes of X-Files, so I couldn't tell you. I feel like it's something you would like. I probably would. I, I just, never watched the show either. I wasn't into it, but I think at the same time, how old was I in '98? Fifteen. Yeah, so I was watching like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the fear of FEMA, as it's often called, another good band name, mm -hmm. waned in the early 2000s as foreign terrorism was perceived as the major threat to America and Western nations. But by the late 2000s, partly fueled by the recession and the election of Barack Obama. A renewed opposition among conservatives to the federal government was once again on the rise. I remember feeling that when he got elected. Mm -hmm. I even made a statement that, you know, kind of morbid, but I'm like, someone's going to assassinate this dude and it's going to be some far right group. Right. It never happened. But I mean, I took notice during that time of all the racists, all the people coming out of right. the woodwork. They were mm -hmm. beside themselves. Obama's election really ignited the far right, like I just said, and they were often racist groups who really brought the theory, this theory and many others into the mainstream when it previously, previously kind of lived out on the, the fringe right. edges of the really extreme right-wing mm -hmm. people. Now it's right there in everyone's face. There was a noted resurgence in the militia movement around this time as well, and with that came renewed resurgence of the FEMA camps conspiracy this was also when the whole doomsday prepper movement started. You yes, remember hearing about that? I remember that? all of that. Now, I fancy myself as a bit of a prepper, as you know, but not because I'm a right-wing nut job. It's mostly because I don't trust anyone, and, <laughs> and I'm preparing for the very real scenario of a zombie apocalypse. Absolutely. So I don't want anybody to get the, the wrong idea. I, I do stockpile ammo and emergency supplies because of zombies, right. not because of the government. No. All right, let's fast forward to 2015 when the theorists' fears really kicked into high gear. Do you remember way back when when I covered a story about the Jade Helm 15 I exercise sure do. in Texas? Mm -hmm. Of course you do because you're a diligent podcast partner and listener. Of course. I appreciate that. Well, our friendly conspiracy whack jobs, of course, thought this was FIBA finally mobilizing to begin their imprisonment <laughs> and their <laughs> ultimate takeover of the world. Nice. It wasn't, of course, as we know. Yes. 
especially maybe it was, and they were like, oh no, they found out, and so they made it something else. Oh, uh, maybe, maybe. Also in 2015, a retired U.S. Army general by the name of Wesley Clark stoked even more speculation when he called for World War II-style internment camps to be revived to combat Muslim extremism. Oh, lordy. Yeah, right? As Obama's presidency came to an end in 2016, conspiracy theories, including this one, were heavily promoted by many right-wing supporters, including Alex Jones, who you may also remember that I spoke about on this Yes. Show. He's a big time theorist and all into the new, the new world order. Um, and of course, Donald Trump himself. Hmm. I mean, the Donald still talks about all kinds of nonsensical conspiracy stuff when it comes to talking about Democrats. So mm-hmm. I feel like all of this stuff really came to a head right around 16 and currently mostly because of Trump. Not saying he did it, but his followers were, you know, de- right. dedicated to the cause. All right, before I wrap up, just a short one for everyone this week. I want to mention a few more things, including um, my thoughts on this whole thing. Okay? Okay. You see, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, or do you think I am a little bit? I think you are a little bit. All right. Well, I'm not nuts. And while technically Republican, I'm very far from the right wing, as you know, right down the middle. With that said, I'm indeed skeptical. I blame it on being too smart for my own good. Mm-hmm. That must be it. It's got to be it. I research a lot. I'm a realist and I don't believe mainstream BS. This past year, the pandemic has only made me more suspicious of things, as you know, Mm because you live with me. Um, And I have some thoughts. The biggest part of this conspiracy kind of revolves around the government's ultimate desire to declare martial law. That's Marshall with a T, not my favorite action star, Marshall with an H law. That's right. Yeah. Coming to theaters this Christmas. Anyway. (laughs) Christmas. I digress. The theorists think that the government will declare martial law and round up all the good people of the country and put them into these camps that FEMA is preparing for right under our noses under the guise of emergency preparedness. It sounds crazy, I know. However, hear me out. There have been many instances over the past year of pandemic shutdowns, race-fueled riots, and election madness that called upon the federal government to declare almost martial law. Right. You know, um, in a lot of areas and states. I'm just saying, as a skeptical onlooker, these things look a little fishy. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're one of these theorists living in the woods in your bunker, mm-hmm. it really looks fishy. Then there were the trainloads of tanks spotted last year during the height of the pandemic. Do you remember hearing about that? I don't. There was a train, long train with a ton of tanks huh. going through California and whatever. Oh, and everybody's yeah, I don't like, remember that at all. Everybody, all over the news, they're mobilizing. Martial law is coming. It was right the height of the pandemic when things were locked down. People weren't obeying the lockdowns and whatever. It was it was getting ugly. I remember that, but I don't remember the tanks. Yeah, so they saw these tanks, which of course were just being transported to right to uh, you know a facility, or so they said. Um, and around the same time, there was a stockpiling of FEMA trailers during all those wildfires we had around the country. Mm-hmm. All the theorists, like I said, immediately started crying about impending martial law. It's coming. They're taking over. They started acting out. Yeah, and fairly. So there was a lot of draconian measures in place about the trying to curb the spread of COVID-19. So I kind of get it. Like I said, as a skeptic, I sort of understand, you know, the government, of course, came out and debunked all of this thing um, and anything sinister. Of course. (laughs) But should we really trust their explanation? I don't know. After all, the country was basically founded on people's distrust of the government. Yes. Truth. So why should we trust them now? 
Don't know. Makes you think a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've stepped off my crazy soapbox and I'll wrap this up. The FEMA theory has, of course, been debunked by several people, media, personalities, magazines, and even my sources for this story, which I forgot to mention. I will mention them in a second. Okay. But this podcaster will continue to take research into my own hands for this theory and others and find out the truth on my own before quickly believing any new story. Gotcha. To bring this full circle and back to my X-Files reference, the truth is out there. Oh, okay. And that's my story. I feel like both of our stories have a case of if you're looking for something, you want to see it, you'll you'll see it, you'll find it. Yes, yes. So, yeah. My, My sources were the Southern Poverty Law Center, which I've used before. They kind of speak to all conspiracy theories and terrorist organizations and race related things. Okay. Um, OBP.org, which was like a conspiracy type website, wired.com. And of course the very factual Wikipedia. Right. Very nice. Well, if you would like any more information on these cases, please make sure to follow us on social media at how did we miss that? And until next week, keep your head up and look out for each other.